this was about as bizarre and as easy as it gets. So the number for me was a number that would allow me to never have to work. I feel like we got top, top, top. I went from a sale of you know five hundred thousand dollars to in debt. One hundred ninety-two million dollars. This is Built to Sell Radio with your host John Warlow. Hey, this episode of Built to Sell Radio is brought to you by the Value Builder System. I had the opportunity to interview Stephanie Breedlove the other day. She sold her $9 million payroll company for a cool $54 million. How does she do it? She focused on the eight things that drive company value. Things like what we call the Switzerland structure, monopoly control, recurring revenue, all things you're going to evaluate in your own business using the Value Builder score. It takes about 15 minutes to complete the survey. Go to valuebuilder.com. Hey, I think you're going to like this next interview with David Fairley. He's built and sold more than 20 internet properties. Arguably, one of the more interesting sales was a company called hammocks.com, which we do a deep dive in in this interview here. What's fascinating about the story is that, you know, David made a lot of mistakes in the sale of hammocks, and he's really frank and honest about the mistakes he made, which I think is refreshing. So you're going to hear some lessons learned from David and, and lessons that he then took and learned and, and, and imparted on the rest of the, uh, the sales that he made. One of the things that I think that is really interesting is that about the 25, 26-minute mark, he talks about how to structure an earnout so that you don't get taken advantage of. And one of the things I was going to mention in the interview but just frankly forgot and I wanted to make sure you knew is that the reason that you want to get lots of cash up front for your business is, is obviously that may be the only cash you ever see for the sale of your company. So you want to negotiate for as much cash up front as possible. But the second hidden reason you want to get cash up front is that once they write you a check up front, they know you have a war chest. They know that you can take them to court and fight a, a good, hard-fought legal battle to make them honor the earnout. If you don't get paid significantly with cash up front, they will assume, in many cases rightly, that you don't have enough money to weather a legal battle. And they may take advantage of that lack of resources in not honoring basic covenants in the earnout. But once you've got a war chest they wrote the check for, they know you've got the money and the staying power to outlive them in, in terms of a legal battle. So keep that in mind when you're looking to negotiate your upfront payment, maximize as much as you can for obvious reasons, but also so that they know that you've got a war chest that they can hold them accountable in the earnout. Here's the story from David Fairley. David Fairley, welcome to Built to Sell Radio. Hi, John. Thank you. So you've done 20 flips uh, of websites. I, I think we're going to talk about hammocks.com today. Um, I, I'm assuming you guys sold hammocks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've been. How did you stumble into this one? Well, actually, I had uh, been traveling. Um, I had been uh, down in uh, taking a motorcycle all the way down the West Coast and into Mexico and uh, Belize and Guatemala. I was uh, when I was in my early twenties, and uh, I ended up uh, meeting up with uh, one, someone in in the city of Merida in Mexico, and and uh, found the Mayan hammocks and used them on my trip. Uh, for three months, and when I came, I brought them back, and it was just a, a love, love fest with the product, and uh, and people loved them um, back home, and I just decided to start importing those, and that uh, it eventually led to wholesale contracts with some uh, national accounts in Canada. That's where I was, uh, where I'm from, and where I grew up, and uh, and then it went into mail order, and eventually when the internet came along, I got online pretty early in the 
mid nineties. And, uh, that turned into hammocks.com once I acquired that domain name. How much did you acquire for? You know, at the time, um, I believe I spent $10,000, which seemed like a lot of money. Um, but of course, as you know, uh, you know, these type of generic domain names started, uh, selling in the six figures and some in the seven figures. So, I was actually lucky to get it, and in fact, it made a huge difference. Uh, as soon as I got it, I, I was picked up uh, in a uh, magazine article by Men's Health, and it turned out to, they were doing a, a lead story on 32 best places to have sex, and they led off with uh, hammocks from hammocks.com. So having that you that domain name and and an 800 number, um, we sold a lot of hammocks that uh, that cold January and February. <laughs> I love it. Oh, it's always interesting ways these businesses come together. So um, interesting. So tell me about how it evolved. Like, what was the trigger that made you want to sell it? Well, I had been um, importing and selling hammocks for, you know, going on nine or 10 years. And um, I had um, I think built this business up to a point where um, at, at the time I felt was, you know, a significant achievement. Um, I had uh, a young family. I started. A, uh, I had a couple of young kids, and I had felt that I, um, you know, part of my goal was to be a work-at-home father and spend more time with my kids. And and I found that uh, you know that you know building a business that was scaling um, and taking it to the next level was going to I think take me out of my comfort zone as far as my what my perceived abilities were at the time of managing. A larger operation, so I just felt that um, you know the opportunity was right to uh, go out and test the market and see if there was interest in it, and and there there certainly was. What was your revenue at the time that you sold? Uh, it was in the low seven figures. Um, I had been doubling uh, revenue year year over year for four years straight, and uh, so you know again uh, I felt that the timing was right for me uh, at that moment from my perspective i thought you know how long can i continue to double my sales i thought it you know it was better to sell when you were when you were surging rather than when it started you know going down the other way so uh, it just uh, that was that was part of the reason why i felt it was you know timing wise it was uh, it was appropriate um when i started the, started out um listing it got it i have no idea the margins in this business i mean like how much of that is falling to the bottom line well, because I was importing, I had um, I had some significant margins. I mean, most of my uh, you know my my gross profit margins um, were probably uh, 150%, uh, which made uh, you know my EBITDA ended up being around uh, 35 to 40%. So I had very very strong uh, net profit margins at the time, and uh, it was a very healthy business. And and as it turned out, it was continually you know it's going to continue to grow. Um, exponentially uh, along with uh, the everything else that was coming online at that time. So you're thinking to yourself, um, you know, I've got a young family. I, I, this is just complete conf conflict with kind of what my business needs. Is that, was that the, the triggering that, that, that you, cause a lot of people, I mean, a lot of very successful companies um, are run by people with, with family. So what was it about having kids that, kind of made you feel like you, you didn't want to run the business anymore? Um, I think that the the fact of the matter was I was working um, like a lot of entrepreneurs. I was working from home. I had a home office and, um, you know, having, you know, in retrospect, looking at that I, at, at that time, my choices would have been, you know, to, to 
continue with the business and and relocate uh, to a, a more formal business operation with employees showing up there and trucks showing up uh, at that location. And and so I was kind of uh, confronted with a choice. Do I want to uh, take this to the next level and expand, move, you know, the operation into a, um, into a facility, hire more employees, you know, ramp up the overhead, um, I, or stay at home and, and continue, uh, at this level with the, you know, the stress that comes with working, um, at home when your business is growing was, was in itself, um, tough to deal with. And, uh, you know, I wasn't really, it wasn't slowing down. So for me, the thought of trying to take it to the next level with, this, at this particular stage of my life was uncomfortable. I didn't feel like I was um, equipped to to scale and to manage on that level, uh, you know, based on my experience at that point. So I opted to to take the door and, you know, consolidate, um, have a, a lump sum of money that I felt was a good a good chunk that could I could sustain for, you know, a, a number of years and reinvest. And so that was part of my motivation. It was more just to, you know, I wasn't driven to build a $100 million company at the time. I just wanted to have a little more freedom and time on my hands and, and focus on, on, you know, doing things with my kids. So I think that was really ultimately recognizing my limitations as well as really what I was focused on at that time was, you know, being a good dad, I suppose. (laughs) Well, that's a a worthy cause for sure. So Take me through the next steps. You decide intellectually that you want to sell. I mean, what 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 next? Well, interesting enough, at the time, um, I did approach. Um, I you know went to went through the stage. I think a lot of people do. It's like I don't really know how to sell a business. I've never done it before. So who do you talk to? And so I ended up contacting some brokers. Um, and what I found is that um, you know at that time there wasn't really any brokers that the, the ones that I talked to really didn't ha- understand the fundamentals that uh, online businesses had. They didn't understand the metrics of, of traffic and uh, tra- traffic stats and analytics and, and you know, just general fundamentals that are unique to running an online business. And so I, I went through a couple of uh, brokers. I, in fact, one of them I had to pay up front, which I would never do these days um, unless, you know, you're, you're dealing with a, you know, an M&A kind of deal. But um, I just was very frustrated. They, you know, I spent money and they really didn't bring any, um, any qualified leads my way. And they just didn't seem to have a very good grasp of, I, it seemed like I knew more about my business than they did. So, um, from that, I ended up, um, releasing the, you know, myself from these, uh, contracts and I ended up, uh, listing the business and myself and went through that process of learning how to sell my own company with all its pitfalls and, <laughs> inexperiences that, uh, how did you list it? Like where, did, where, is there a place that you go to list a business for sale? Well, sure. Um, I think at the time there's, there's a number of portals, of course, online, you know, probably the, the most prominent is biz by sell. Um, there's business opportunities.com. There's, uh, businesses for businesses for sale.com biz quest. There, there's a number and, you know, there's more now, but, um, there was, there was several, um, portals that I, you know, ended up li- putting my own listing in and uh, did my best to c- present it and uh, with the information that I I had together. And, uh, you know, then I got, I started getting inquiries, of course, and people questioning, you know, where did I come up with my valuation, et cetera. So, <laughs> so you'd put an, you, you put a price on the business? I did. I listed it, uh, initially listed it at a, you know, uh, 
at a multiple that was based on uh, more on blue sky on future. I was kind of basing it on, well, look, I've done this amount. I'm going to do, you know, likely going to end up doubling it the next two or three years. And I was trying to, uh, I, I think from a, a multiple of, of EBITDA, it was, it was definitely, you know, out there and I wasn't getting a lot of traction with that. Um, and I didn't really have enough meat on the bone and for a, for a presentation to warrant that. Um, you know, I think preparation, uh, is really important and, and kind of emphasis of the key elements, which of course, you know, uh, and you teach in your course, but I didn't have any of that knowledge. I was kind of just going by the seat of my pants and hoping that someone was going to value my business at the level that I thought it was worth. Um, so what did you ask for it in the early days? Um, you know, I was, I was looking at, uh, close to $5 million for the company, um, which was at the time I was, you know, my, my EBITDA was closer to 350,000, but my logic was like, I'm going to make, this is going to double the next two years. And my business is going to be, uh, you know, worth this, uh, amount because it's growing and it's been growing like this over the last four or five years. And, and this is the direction. And of course that kind of, um, you know, that just doesn't really go well, <laughs> go over well with most buyers when they're like, you know, they, that, that's where the common term goes, like, you know, all the opportunity or blue sky. Um, I was trying to sell it based on blue sky rather than sort of get there, get the numbers to the point where, you know, that people could see their ROI was going to be there. But, um, you know, that that didn't go very well. I learned quickly that I was I was overvalued and and that, you know, people were looking closer to, you know, the one to two million range based on what I had done at that point. And and what was it that that gave you the indication that you'd overvalued it. I mean, was it just crickets, like no response or were people responding and saying, you're crazy? Like what was the, well, it was probably a little bit of both. I think people looked at the, you know, what the, the business was doing from a revenue standpoint and cash flowing, and then, you know, looking at the historicals, um, and, um, they just, you know, there was people that didn't respond because it was out of, um, I guess out of whack with what their expectations were. And then there was other people that came in and started telling me, um, people like to get on and, and start telling you what your business is worth, <laughs> uh, you know, and try and, and give you, um, you know, try and justify why you're wrong and why they're right. And in some cases it was, there was some truth to it. In other cases, it was just someone's thinking that they were negotiating with me based on me, them trying to convince me that I was wrong and they were right. So, um, I think ultimately, um, you know, that feedback helped me kind of reassess my um, expectations. And, um, you know, then I, I, I ended up, you know, reevaluating what I was listing it for and brought the value, you know, brought the price down. And then there was, you know, quite a bit of interest. And I got it um, at that point, And I, I got some serious inquiries and, and you know, one uh, party in particular that decided to, you know, they wanted to make a move and, they offered something verbally and then flew out and, and we, uh, we met and, and, uh, they went through the business and, uh, you know, that was based out of my, uh, office, you know, home office <laughs> as well, which was a little, little disconcerting when someone shows up to your, you know, to buy your, uh, seven figure business and you're, and you're operating out of a, <laughs> your bed, I can just imagine, you know, a bedroom <laughs> office kind of thing. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Don't worry about the jolly jumper there. We'll get that out of the way. We'll, uh, Come on, let me get your coffee, kind of thing. Yeah. So, what did you? So, what did you relist that at? So, you started at five million. Then, what did you relist it at the second time? Um, I ended up because my my net 
profit was ended up being somewhere around uh, 300, 325,000. And I say approximately, um, as I mentioned earlier, I was, you know, one of the things I didn't do, which um, was the classic kind of chaotic entrepreneur mistake was I, I really wasn't on top of my bookkeeping and my, and my numbers. Um, and so there was some gray areas and, you know, uh, just uh, regarding the, the numbers, they just weren't as clean as they needed to be. So that put me a little bit on the defensive to begin with. Um, and so I, I would say that was um, when I, when I relisted this, this business, I felt that, you know, the most people were looking at this and going, well, I'm, you know, I'm probably valuing this around a four, four to five, you know, four to five acts of what you've done. And because I wasn't able to, um, you know, really present everything as accurate as I needed to, that there was more pressure on the price that I found in the negotiations because of that. So I, I went from, you know, probably feeling I was, my business was looking like it was going to sell for a million and a half to two million to, you know, a, a price point that was, you know, negotiated lower, um, again, because I was coming from, you know, a little bit of weakness um, and naivety, really. Um, so that wasn't, you know, that was a little bit of a, a spike in the foot that, you know, you kind of kick, uh, shoot yourself in the foot when you, you know, you were, you're not prepared, uh, you know, in that regard, like I was. So, you know, that's just, again, something that I think people make that mistake on or, uh, you know, that's a common thing, I think, amongst entrepreneurs, but uh, it's definitely something that is not ideal. Um, you, you really always want to come out with very accurate and clean presentation of your financials. So your financials were 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 not great. Um, so you, you relist. You get an. I'm I'm trying to get the sequence of events right. So you relist. You get um, an offer verbally, and and that was attractive enough to you, presumably to to welcome the, them into your home. So the, the verbal offer was correct. Was something you thought was fair. Yeah, I mean it was a cash offer. Um, all cash. I mean, at the time, getting a lump sum of, you know, my my goal, I suppose, was I wanted to have a seven-figure exit. And so I was given an, a verbal offer that was going to deliver that for me. Um, at the time, uh, you know, was, I was uh, feeling that that was, you know, that was an exciting sort of number that I had in my mind. And so I went with it and, and uh, agreed to have them come out. And they came out and, um, you know, reviewed the business for a couple of days and seemed to be satisfied and flew back. And, and then, um, you know, at some point, this is towards the end of the year. And um, then with Christmas holidays and whatnot that you, you end up, you know, no one's really communicating. Um, not, not a lot happens at that time. Of course, we were wrapping up the end of the year and, and getting all of our product out. It was very busy. And then at the end of the year, they came back and they had, you know, countered, they sent a counter, which was, you know, I was a little bit surprised with, but, um, you know, I considered it and, and, you know, we ended up negotiating something that was lower than what I had initially expected and wanted. But, um, because I was under some uh, personal pressure and stress, um, I just felt it was a burden hand and, you know, I didn't really push back too hard. And, um, I think that because of that, uh, mental and emotional stress that I was under, that I allowed myself to get into, I made a, a decision that, I think was costly. Um, I look back on down the road as with some regret um, because I hadn't, you know, simply managed my current situation to 
to allow a, a, a stronger position to sell or either or either that or just get um, you know reconsolidated and and continue to grow the business uh, and and build value and you know sell at a, a later exit uh, year a year or two later. So they come. So let me get this. So they. Yeah, they give you the verbal offer, uh, cash, seven figures, great. Come on out, uh, spend some time with me here at the house and, and learn a little bit about the business. They do that. It's kind of crickets for a while. And then all out of the blue, they kind of send you this, this offer, which is substantially less than what you talked about over the phone. Correct. Did they give you? Did they give you any telegraphing that they were going to lower their their number, or did you, was this the first instant inkling that you that you knew that they were going to drop the price? Was was receiving their note? Well, initially, you know, when I first heard them, they they said that they after they had evaluated that they were coming in with a lower number, and I, you know, that was prior to Christmas, and then uh, right at the end of December, and then you know, in the new year when we got when we uh, reconvened. Um, you know, I had questioned that number again, and they were holding. You know, they held their position. They just didn't feel. I think they felt that, uh, or they they understood that I was, you know, I really wanted to sell, and they and they took advantage of that. And I, uh, in my naivety, and and um, I think in you know, kind of again, I, I, making a decision and under in a, an emotional state is never recommended. So I think it was just um, you know my mindset at the time was. You know, take let's take this. You can do something else afterwards. This is a win, and uh, you know, I just didn't didn't have the sort of the thought to push back or walk away. Which I think, if I had of, uh, they probably would have come back to their original number and and maybe, um, you know, maybe higher if I had of, you know, had to uh, wherewithal to you know, to weather that and to kind of play a little bit more poker with them um, in that regard. So. What was going on for you personally at the time? Why, why were you under such stress? Um, well, I, well, again, the I think the the the, the scaling of the, the growth of the business and some of the I think part of part of running an importing business is uh, and and also retail business is that you're growing, scaling. You're constantly you're kind of uh, you're wealthy one moment and then you're broke the next moment because you're always having to reorder and scale up. And I think that the you know, your the the money wasn't as much as it was um, a very you know lucrative business. It was growing you know at the, at a pace that there was never really a lot sticking. So you were constantly throwing more back more back into uh, into the business. And I you know with importing uh, from another com- uh, country, there was a lot of stress and language issues and and delays. And you know again, it was just I think the scaling of that business continually just kept on meaning more uh, felt like it was uh, there was more risk involved there was more you know uh, I needed to I needed more resources I needed more people and again having the the kids the young kids and the working from that uh, from that environment just became a little overwhelming um, and I just decided it was this was the time when I needed to you know to step away so those are the conditions that I felt and you know it didn't help that uh, 9/11 had happened <laughs> at the time, and um, so we were, you know, there was some of that uh, economic and uh, I think national stress going on at the time as well. So, um, you know, it was a combination of things. Really, it was kind of a perfect storm. Um, but that's why I felt that duress. And again, it's, it's I think the takeaway is never make a 
never make decisions on, under that kind of emotional stress. It's usually better to take a step back and and uh, get some advice. I didn't really have a lot of mentors to turn to or people that I that understood what I was doing. There wasn't a lot of uh, I didn't know people that were online that had done what I had done at the time. And, um, you know, just seeking, I think, seeking out advice and uh, from other me- uh, mentors or people that you respect is would have been a, you know, probably would have given me more perspective. And uh, I, I probably would have, uh, you know, taken a different tact, um, given that opportunity. You mentioned the bookkeeping was a less, you know, less tight as than than they were looking for, or was a bit of a problem. It'd be helpful because I think a lot of business owners listening to this will be like, well, yeah, will be listen to that and say, yep, that's that's me. You know, my my books aren't maybe as clean as they could be, but it would be helpful to know specifically. Can you give me an example of something that, from a bookkeeping perspective, was problematic? Like a specific, was it a like a, a revenue line item that was not right or were, were there adjustments that needed, like what specifically was wrong with the books? Well, first off, I wasn't really, I mean, I, I was, uh, I wasn't using QuickBooks or something like that that was tracking everything accurately. It was mostly journal entries and, and, you know, it was kind of old school. I had, I had, um, you know, had to have someone forensically go back and, you know, it wasn't something that I was paying attention to or, or, or doing on a regular basis. So um, there was some gaps in it. There was some, you know, issues with getting um, some of the revenues that were coming in were cash or checks and uh, those weren't logged properly. And so uh, in some areas there was uh, some, you know, value from revenues that wasn't being recorded. And, and I, could, I couldn't really, uh, I couldn't come back and, uh, you know, uh, claim uh, without, you know, without them saying, well, we, you know, there's no record of this, so we, we can't take that in consideration. And I think in some cases as well, there was people being paid under the table, just sort of classic sort of, oh, I think I'm going to save by doing these things. But in the end, you know, not having clean books and, and, and good clean records ends up, you know, mean, means that people don't have the information they need to, to give you the kind of offer that you want. And so, uh, you know, missing some of these things that were, are, are normal now. I mean, most people that are listening to this are going, wow, this sounds you know, uh, like you were running this, uh, you know, with your receipts in a shoebox, and and that was kind of, um, you know, part of the problem was that I wasn't, you know, on top of that, I was an individual that was, you know, ultimately not uh, utilizing uh, resources around them. I didn't have, you know, I didn't have a, a bookkeeper that was keeping me, um, you know, keeping things organized for me. So I just sort of, I think that that's probably not very atypical of people running million dollar plus businesses but um it definitely was the you know kind of the uh, the bane of what i had done in you know retrospect it was uh, i just didn't keep accurate records of some of the revenues and expenses that that would have reflected my my business um, on a on a stronger platform a stronger foundation and so they used that against me uh, in the end and i really didn't have an argument other than well you can trust me, but that, that, that doesn't work in the real world. And so how, did they change the deal structure uh, from the original conversation to the final? Uh, did they change the proportion, for example, that was going to be paid in cash versus in an earnout? Was there any manipulation to the actual structuring? Um, actually, yeah, there was. Um, so initially, the, the deal was an all-cash uh, figure that was just, you know, just over a million dollars. And when they came back um, with this lower number, it turned out that they wanted, they came back and, and brought it back to around $700,000. And 
Um, and I pushed back. And what I what I what what I ended up doing was I said, look, if you, you know, I still you if you're going to go if I'm going to take less less cash, I want to have some sort of earnout. And so what transpired was um, they ended up drafting up a, a very convoluted earnout structure that was based on whether they when they sold a company and I would have five percent of these shares and and that. <laughs> You know, that was probably getting a 65 page contract with most of that describing how that was going to be done was should have been a, a red flag for me. And maybe my lawyer that I'd hired that um, really didn't seem to have much of a he wasn't offering me a lot of a sound advice as well. But, um, you know, it was just the the upside never really got realized because the company ended up restructuring and um, whether by design or not. And I didn't have anything that was clear and simple that would have given me that upside that, I mean, probably would have turned into, you know, a significant amount more than what I was going to get in cash, but that was never realized because the, uh, you know, the way the contract was written. And again, that was another sort of bitter, uh, bitter pill to swallow, knowing that I had, you know, not negotiated something that was based off of something like simple, like, you know, a percentage of gross sales for a number of years. Uh, instead, it was uh, based on some you know, formula that was had a high likely, a, high, a low probability of, of actually happening, but it gave me sort of this this uh, mild sort of um, security that I was going to, you know, th there was no reason why these people wouldn't take care of me down the road. But in the end, that was just the naivety uh, and the lack of experience uh, that got me, you know, I ended up agreeing to a deal that was significantly less than I was hoping for uh, by a factor of 30%, and I never saw the upside. So, you know, it was disappointing, but um, you know, no, no victims. It was just something that I learned, uh, you know, to never do again and, uh, you know, offer that to, you know, other individuals that I'm mentoring. So you've, 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 fil you've flipped 20 companies now, 20 websites. And I wonder if you look at, you know, the hammocks experience uh, as one data point, but then you've, you've had all these other, uh, companies, strollers.com, I mean, a bunch of other companies, um, I wonder when you think back across all of the businesses that you've been involved in, I mean, what is the dirtiest trick you've seen played on a business owner by an acquirer? Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I think that the, you know, people will try and, you know, on, it's usually on the back end, um, when there's deals where there's seller financing or there's an earn out of something where, you know, people understand that, um, that, that uh, a seller, an individual particularly is not likely to, you know, have the resources or, or, you know, take someone to court and they'll, and they'll often, you know, justify the earn out based on uh, some sort of performance metric that was their responsibility, not the, not the sellers and, and try and get out of pain you know, paying you, paying an individual what they, what they deserved. Um, I have, you know, I experienced that, um, you know, inadvertently, but, uh, I mean, I've seen a lot of, uh, and, and, and talked to a lot of different individuals that had, uh, you know, those situations. And so, you know, to sort of combat that usually, you know, it's, it, it if you, you have to have something that, you know, there, there's some teeth with them, we usually recommend hanging on to, for example, in the sale of a, uh, you know what I would do in the future. Uh, what I did in the future was hang on to the uh, if there was an earnout or a, 
seller note or something, I would hang on to the asset that was important, which was the domain name until that was completed. And that gave, you know, gave that earn out some teeth because no matter what kind of contract you write, you're, you know, it, there's no guarantee that that's going to hold water and you're not going to be in litigation for years to come. It's better just to kind of have something that avoids those circumstances to begin with. Oh, that's brilliant. So you would hang on to ownership of the actual URL and that would, that would basically go to the, to the buyer at the point of, of the earnout being realized. Yeah, exactly. And you can back up your website uh, in the, in the case of an internet business. I mean, that, that allows you to c control something that's, you know, is a very valuable piece of IP and is going to make someone think twice about trying to, you know, double cross you on, on an agreement. So that's one way, you know, that's certainly a, a great way for business owners to, to, you know, to use and leverage uh, in the case of a, you know, something where there's a, a future uh, payment. Um, Love it. Love yeah. It. I, I know, uh, I know we're gonna have a ton of people wanting to reach out to you, David, what is the best way for people to reach you? Um, well, so they can, they can reach out uh, to me at uh, dfairly at websiteproperties.com. They can check out websiteproperties.com, which is uh, our our company um, for online businesses. Uh, if if it, individuals are interested in uh, looking into uh, valuations of their online business or or certainly selling, um, that's what we specialize in. Um, and uh, you know they can they can check out our website or they can um, certainly email me or they can you know go to connect with me on LinkedIn um, as well. So those are the best ways to to contact me for more information on on myself or my company. And we'll put all that in the show notes at builttosell.com. David Fairley, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, John. Uh, I appreciate it, the opportunity. Thanks for listening to Built to Sell Radio with John Warlow. For complete show notes with links to additional resources, visit builttosell.com slash blog. John is the founder of the Value Builder System. To find out how to improve the value of your business by 71%, visit valuebuildersystem.com. John is also the author of Built to Sell, creating a business that can thrive without you, and the automatic customer, creating a subscription business in any industry. Connect with John at facebook.com slash built to sell or on Twitter at John Warlow, W-A-R-R-I-L-L-O-W. -L -L Thanks for listening.